Well, for us this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter, and as you do, let me just say what a privilege it is to be with the people of God once again this morning being able to dine upon the word of God with God's people. I would also like to take a moment to welcome our visitors once again. We thank you for visiting with us today. I pray that the Lord will do something marvelous in your life right now. God is willing to do wonderful works in our lives. Get out of the way. Get out of the way and let him rule. Let him reign. We're going to read through the first 14 verses of chapter 1, Ephesians, the first chapter. But specifically, we're going to be dealing with verses 1 through 6 because this is such a rich text. I ain't going to lie. I I, I tried to get all 14 in, but it wasn't happening. So we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. But for the sake of context, let's read all 14 verses of this first chapter of Ephesians. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. Oh, the depths. Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For indeed, God, all things are from you and through you and to you. And this morning, oh God, we offer ourselves to you. May you come 
and speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, please create in me a clean heart. Give me a a clean heart and clean hands that I may proclaim these marvelous truths to your people. Father, we ask that you will have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How easy it is to take for granted the grace of God. How easy it is to take for granted the goodness of God. If you're like me, you take the grace of God for granted every day. Each and every day, I take, I take God's grace for granted. And I take his grace for granted because I believe that I, I'm supposed to have it well. I think I'm supposed to be able to go to work safely and come back to my family healthy. It is so easy to become accustomed to the grace of God. And, 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 we, and we do simply because his grace is inexhaustible and he, he continually gives it. I mean, really think. Think about it. Consider your life. We have it good. And we have become to expect that it should be good. Every day. Even in the midst of circumstances and situations and health issues and job problems, we still have it good. So we forget about this gracious and glorious God that we serve and we go about our our daily lives forgetting to even say, thank you, God. We go through our days over and over again. I, I was supposed to be in college. I was supposed to graduate. I was I was supposed to have the job. I was supposed to get married. Forgetting about the goodness of God. But if you are a true follower of Christ, you understand that even as good as it is now, this is just a taste of what he has stored up for us. However, if you don't know Jesus in the pardon of your sin, This is the best that it gets for you. So God is cultivating grace and goodness just because of who he is right now. And it's it's easy to tell when we begin to forget about his grace. There's certain questions that we, we can skip over in our minds and not even think of anymore. You know, those those big questions in life. Not, not questions like what you're going to wear to the concert next week or, 
or uh, will your boys be playing Call of Duty today? No, no, no. Big questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where did everything come from? Those are big questions in life. Those questions that we often skip over because because they're just too deep. So so instead of actually thinking about these questions, we turn up the volume of life. We turn up the radio, we turn up our busyness, and we turn up our friends, and we don't actually want to consider and think about these big questions. That's how you know you're forgetting about God's grace. And this glorious letter of Ephesians is it's all about God's grace. Because the answer to those questions are, are found in God. The beginning and the, and the end of those big questions of life find their answer in God. And we have this letter which teaches us about God. Those questions of life. You know, deep down, we really want answers to those questions. D- deep down, each person here today yearns to have an identity of his or her own. We desire a, a sense of purpose, peace, and acceptance. And I say to you today, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of working to be accepted? Aren't you tired of working so hard to make a name for yourself? Aren't you worn out, hopelessly searching for purpose and for peace? Aren't you tired of working? You can stop working today and rest in the fact that the God of the universe is a gloriously gracious God who is more than willing to give you an identity today. Peace today. Purpose today, acceptance today, all through Jesus Christ today. And this is what Paul is pointing out to these faithful believers here in the city of Ephesus. So let's look at, let's look together as Paul points out to us a gloriously gracious God. As I said, this, this book of Ephesians is a book that can't, it lays out life for us because the first few chapters tells, up, tells us who we are. It tells us our purpose, our, our identity, and, and, and just why, why, why we've been created. And then the book goes on is, and it tells us because we've been created to do this, this is how we should now live. Paul is writing this from jail. And he writes such high praise of God in the midst of his situation. How how could Paul write a letter like this from jail in his circumstance, in, 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 in the midst of his issue? Because he knew he served a gloriously gracious God. So he welled up with praise. He he had no choice but to praise God because he knew who he was. See, Paul lived amongst these people for three years. 
teaching and preaching. And, and now he's reminding them what God had been doing for them even before the foundation of the world. What Jesus Christ did in the shedding of his, his blood. And we, but we keep on hearing this, this term grace. Grace. What is this grace? Is it something that you, you do before you eat? Is that it? What is this grace? I like how the, the Tyndale, Tyndale Bible Dictionary puts it. It says, grace is the gift of God as expressed in his actions of extending mercy, loving kindness, and salvation to people. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to conf- confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. God is gracious in action. This grace is God's unmerited favor. You you can't do nothing to get it. It's not dependent on anything that we do. For grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get everything because of Christ. And it is the, the grace of God that is presently active in the life of the Christian with, it, that brings certain guarantees. And, and all these guarantees, don't, they don't point to us. They point our gaze back up to this gloriously gracious God, and it helps us never to forget where our blessings come from. Before us today in verses 1 through 6, we see such guarantees. We see that this gloriously gracious God gives guaranteed identity to those in Christ. This gloriously gracious God gives us guaranteed peace in Christ. He gives us guaranteed purpose in Christ. And he gives us guaranteed acceptance in Christ. Beginning with verse 1, we see that in, in Christ, God's children have a guaranteed identity. Verse 1, Paul. Now, actually, I could stop right there and preach the whole sermon. Paul. Begin to think in your mind just what Paul had been through up to this point. Paul. And, and, I, and I really believe in all his epistles, he starts them off, he starts them off, Paul. And I, I don't think he was trying to be arrogant or, 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 or he thought he was sweet. I I think he was using his life as a personal witness to the power of God. And he wanted the people to know, guess where this letter is coming from? Paul. Yeah, you heard about me. Yeah, you know how I used to be? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. With just a few words of greeting, Paul lays the theological foundation upon which the rest of this book is built upon. See, see, he is an apostle and they are saints. And the way they get that way is through and by the grace of God. And an apostle and those faithful They're identified because God said so. Paul, an apostle, 
of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Think about Paul. He used to be a murderer. He used to be the the very one persecuting the church. Turn with me to Acts, the seventh chapter. Let's, let's, Let's look at Paul right quick. Acts, the seventh chapter, uh, beginning with verse 58. We're going to skip around a little bit. So at this point in history, Paul is Saul. Hold on to that. Paul is actually Saul. He began life known as Saul. And here... we. We find the the ending of where Stephen is being stoned because of his proclamation of who God is. And in the seventh chapter, verse 58, it says, Then they cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, and, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And those, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul was persecuting the church. Saul was killing Christians. Saul was walking up in church and saying, you, you, yeah, get them, you come with me, come with me, come with me. All you Jesus followers, you Jesus lovers, you're going to jail or you're being put to death. Saul, a murderer. But what happens? God's grace begins to bubble. And in chapter 9, verse 1, Paul is still saying, I I, I got something for y'all Christians. I got something for you. And in verse 1 of the ninth chapter, he said, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Then men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Saul, this murderer, this this persecutor of the church, encounters Jesus one day. 
And in his grace, he decides that he has a job for Saul to do. So he rescues Saul out of his filth, out of his depravity, and then Acts 13. And verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Patmos, Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, who was also called, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop right there. From then on, when you read these scriptures, he is no longer called Saul, but he's always called Paul. So when he opens the letter and says, Paul, he's saying that I'm not like I used to be. He's saying, I'm not that old guy. I have a new identity, and this identity has been given to me by God himself. No man has made me this way. The saints, same thing here in Ephesus, the city filled with pagan religion. They're sinners. They're sinners apart from God. God, his grace shows up. They go from sinners to now they're saints. A transformation. This identity is only given by God. This is God intervening in the lives of those who were far from God. He is intentionally moving upon their lives. Saul is now Paul by the will of God. Sinners become saints by the will of God. They are what you call some used-to-be's. Do we have any used-to-be's in the house? How I used to be until God rescued me. Say, how I used to be until he poured his grace on me. How I used to be. But now I'm a new creature. I have a a new identity. I have a, a, a new attitude because of what God has done. We're so busy searching for our our own identity by our own hands. And God is saying, that is not how you should be known by what you do. You're known by what I have done in your life. Who are you today? Where does your identity come from? What's your rep? What are you known by? Are you identified by by your money? Are you identified by your job title? Are you identified by your toughness? Yeah, I'm thug out. Everybody on the block know me. 
Are you identified by your beauty? Oh, everybody wants to be like her. She's so pretty. I grew up playing a lot of basketball, and, and it was funny. I, 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 all across town, playing basketball all day, all day. And it never failed. Never failed. I, will always, I always go to a, one part and to be that guy. You know a baller when you see a baller. But that guy usually is the one where everything matches. I mean, U of L shoes, U of L socks, the Cardinal shorts, color coordinated, his name on the back of the jersey, the headband, wristband, knee brace, spandex, the shoelace clips. I mean, everything. He ready to go. He on the sideline like, yeah, just want to get in. Yeah, yeah. You show up like, is he for real? He's trying to be identified as a baller without really knowing how to play the part. He, he, he's showing up. He looks good on the outside, but you put him to the test on the court, you'll quickly find out he ain't got no business out there. And we got to stop trying to show up with our external accolades thinking we're somebody. And when God puts us to the test, we just fall. We, we just turn over the rock. We just turn over left. Turn over. God is trying to put us in the game, and we're trying to show up sweet. God wants some, some dirty, some, some nasty, some hard-nosed Christians who are going to get out there and do their thing for Christ. If you want to be identified by anything, be identified that they go hard for Christ. They go hard for Jesus. I don't know anything else about them, but God is doing something through them. Everywhere they go is Jesus this, Jesus that, but their light is shining. And people's lives are being transformed because they're for real about. Yeah, yeah I get that. Sometimes, like, like, I don't know, but they, they're like for real about Christianity and stuff. Like, for real, for real. Can we be genuine? I like what Paul says in Philippians 3 and 7 where he says, for whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Are you really willing to give up your reputation for Christ? You see, because Paul could care less about what he had, how he was identified. He just wanted to be God's man. He wanted to be identified as a faithful follower. Can we be identified as faithful followers of Christ? But how does this take place? It was grace that saved him. And grace is going to do the same thing with us. By the will of this gloriously gracious God, we have a guaranteed identity in Christ Jesus. And once we have received this guaranteed identity from God, he graciously provides us with guaranteed peace. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
Another simple statement, simple, simple. But yet the statement is, is so pregnant with so much truth. See, Paul, he, he commonly uses phrases of blessing in his letters when he's writing to these churches. He does it over and over. May, may you continually receive the unmerited favor that enables you to live for God. But also we see, may you have peace. But, but why peace? Isn't grace enough? Paul is not simply talking about a, a state of tranquility, this, this, mm, this Zen state where everything's okay and my life is fine. It's not a state of being. Paul is talking about a total well-being and security, watch, associated with God's presence amongst his people. That's the piece he's talking about. Again, the Tyndale Bible Dictionary says this, in Paul's common grace and peace greeting, it is no longer a mere wish for peace that Paul extends to his readers, but it is a reminder of the messianic gifts available in the present time through Christ to the man of faith. This expression of peace is a a desire for those who are reading the letter to be made right before God through the blood of Jesus. That's what this peace is. Remember, in in Ephesus, that that is a satanic stronghold. Pagan religions are being worshipped. They are in the midst of this, this struggle and are in need of deliverance. How do you deliver someone from a pagan religion? You don't just move them to a new city. You don't just get them out of Dodge. They must be delivered. That delivery comes from the peace that only Jesus Christ brings. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now turn with me to Ephesians, the second chapter. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace. Stop right there. Jesus don't just give you peace. He is our peace. Grace and peace. You need Jesus Christ. Who has made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What dividing wall of hostility? When, when you are rebelling against a, a, a perfect and holy God, he has beef, he got a beef with you. There's a righteous wrath coming upon the very one who is rebelling against God. How does he break 
How does he break down this wall? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so, so making peace. And it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, ha- we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Grace to you and peace. Jesus, may Jesus and his blood cover you from your sin. May Jesus and his blood redeem you from your wickedness. May Jesus and his blood make you reconciled and right before the Father. Grace comes and the blood of Jesus is applied. Grace and peace. Though there was instability in that region, I'm sure they they were the butt of a lot of jokes. Look at those Christians. They're so stupid. They don't know what they're doing. You can't even see their God. This peace was not based upon their economic stability. This peace was not based upon their contentment or comfort. This peace is a definite peace because it is based upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. When Jesus rose on the third day, all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. See, that's why he could say things like, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Guaranteed peace. Grace to you and peace. Before you receive this peace, you got to have some grace, though. It's peace through grace. Not peace through your house. Not peace through your title. Not peace through your rep. Not peace because of the circle you run with. Peace because of the blood of Christ. Do you have peace with God today? Do you definitely know that you've been made right before God? Can this world take its best shot at you and you still be standing? This gloriously gracious God has given us a guaranteed peace in Christ Jesus. See, God gives believers an identity. He makes us who we are. I don't have to worry about trying to make a name for myself. My, my, my name is, is, is written uh, on, on, on the Lamb's Book of Life. He, he knows my name. I don't need nobody else to know my name as long as he knows my name. He gives believers peace. 
And his grace continues to flow, providing his children with a guaranteed purpose. We have purpose. Ephesians 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, verse 3 is about praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I got it all. Paul is is telling them, we have it all. We have it made. Because Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, we have everything. So he's praising, and then verse 4, he begins to unfold just what's taking place. He unfolds what this these spiritual blessings are that that can't be seen by those in Ephesus. See, in verse 4, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Purpose. For the follower of Christ, your purpose did not begin just when you was born. And that should give us incredible comfort in knowing that before the foundation of the world, God had a purpose and a plan for my life. He knows what he's doing with my life. I don't have to be crazy or a scatterbrain because things don't look right. He has my purpose in his hand. This is an emphasis on God's grace and God's love and God's will and God's purpose and God's choice. This is not about us. The gospel is not specifically about us. It is about God creating a kingdom in which he is filling with people who are going to worship him and adore him for all eternity. And as he was populating this kingdom, man rebelled against him. So they cannot be a part of this kingdom. So he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for that rebellion. And now in Christ, he is drawing a people to himself that he may lavish the love that he shares with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that that perfect fellowship, that perfect love, he is going to lavish that upon us. Before the foundation of the world. Well, why? Why? For the purpose of creating a holy and blameless family that will share in that loving relationship already existed between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What a glorious truth to the saints in Ephesus. There's there's no ambiguity in Christianity. There's no uncertainty, no no doubt. Before the foundation of the world, he chose me. I'm his. God has determined. That means no created thing can stop him. That those whose lives are united in Christ will have eternal purpose. This is what he's doing. Romans 8, verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, watch this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Our purpose is to look like Jesus. He wants us to look like Jesus. But apart from Christ, the Ephesians would have had no purpose. Apart from Christ, they would have been serving a a pagan religion in which they were serving a God that didn't speak to them, a God that that couldn't provide for them, that didn't care about him, that couldn't hold him, that couldn't cherish him. This, they would have been serving just an idol, chasing, chasing fulfillment, chasing fulfillment each and every day, but never being filled. It, it, this new phenomenon with video games is it's unbelievable. But you actually have cats playing video games till they die. They just, they just play days, just days straight. They won't eat, won't drink. They just die. And it's a story about a young man who was on one of these Xbox escapades who, who died because he had been sitting too long and had got like a blood clot in his leg that went up to his lung. Well, what, 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 what's going on right there? They're searching for fulfillment. They're chasing fulfillment. One more board. One more stage. One more. One more. One more. We're the the same way. We're going through life trying to get one more. One more this. One more that. And and even when we get it, we're still not fulfilled. We got to get one more. Got to get one more. I get it. Got to get one more. Yeah, one. God says, enough of that foolishness. In Christ, you have purpose. You are filled. There's no need to keep chasing, running after the, the, the foolish things of life. Apart from Christ, there is no purpose to life. Most schools teach evolution and in evolution, there is no purpose of life. It's boom, it was just here. You just kind of came out, out out of the muck, and you just here. What does that do to a person? There's no purpose. There's no hope. And many of us are, are just going through life, just kind of see how the day happens and no real plans, and you know, I'm just going to just kind of just... Then we begin to pour our lives into useless things. Giving, giving all of ourselves to these useless things. God is saying, no, I have more for you today. What is your purpose? Why are you here? Apart from the scriptures, there is no meaning to life. This gloriously gracious God has given us a guaranteed purpose in Christ Jesus. In just just four verses, we have a guaranteed identity, a guaranteed peace, and a guaranteed purpose. I mean, mean, that's pretty good. But not to be left out, this gloriously gracious God has given us guaranteed acceptance. Verse 5. 
He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul further brings home this point of God choosing a people to himself and referring to adoption as a, a a intimate, special relationship. It's not just I'm here. This is a fellowship, a communion. Under the Roman law, an adopted child would acquire all legal rights of a natural-born child and was released from the control of the natural father. The child also received the adopting parent's name and shared a status of that new family. So what Paul is saying to those in Ephesus, see, when, when God is adopting you, that process of adoption. He's giving you a, a new name. You no longer, uh, uh, you, your, your father, Satan, no longer has rights over you. I'm giving you a new name, and you have all that I have is yours. We don't lose out. Genuine, guaranteed acceptance from God. This new family name, no matter what my former life was like, no matter how I used to be, I have acceptance. There's some in here today who think they've just done too much. They've been too far off. God is willing to accept you. We don't have to work hard for acceptance from other people. We do the most grotesque, revolting Plain dumb things to be accepted. You, you ever did something dumb to be accepted? Just to fit in? You don't have to cry yourself at night anymore, wondering if anyone would ever accept you. This gloriously gracious God has his arms outstretched saying, come. Come to me, those who are poor, come. Those who are broken, come. Those who are weary, come. Those who are weak, come. I'll accept you, even when no one else will. This gloriously gracious God has given us guaranteed acceptance in Christ Jesus. How do you answer the big questions in life? What's your purpose? Why am I here? What are my plans? God has revealed himself to us as a gracious God. And he doesn't just pay lip service. But by his grace, we have a guaranteed identity. We have guaranteed peace. We have a guaranteed purpose. And we have a guaranteed acceptance. All in Christ Jesus. It's that very reason that Paul praises God and blesses his name. In verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. A life that desires to worship and to serve God. Have you experienced the grace of God this morning? What is your hopes for life? Where is your identity? Where is your purpose? We serve a God who is gracious, who is loving, who is caring. But we also serve a God who is an all or nothing God. 
You either have all of them and all of his grace and all of his mercy and all of his riches and all of his goodness. Or you get none of his grace and none of his goodness. There's no there's no halfway God. You can't just hold a piece of him with you. There's no identity, no peace, no purpose, and no acceptance apart from Christ. Where are you today? Where are you today? Will you continue in sin? Will you reject God? But glory be to God for those who have experienced his grace. May we be reminded each and every day that God has been good to us. And let us live grateful, grateful lives to God. Let us pray. Father, your word declares that you are good. That you are gracious. And Father, I ask that you will forgive me, you will forgive us for continually forgetting about your grace. For it is your grace that sustains us, it is your grace that keeps us, and it is your grace that transforms us. Father, please, today, break in on someone's heart. Encourage those who know you, transform those who do not. Help us to live to the praise of your glorious grace with which you have blessed us in the blood. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.